welcome to Popaholics, the show where a dad and daughter dish on pop culture over a drink. I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. And I don't think to drink. <laughs> I'm anything to drink. I'm drinking coffee, black coffee. Um, so, Kate, what uh, what sort of uh, it's been a while since we talked. It What's has been new, a while. New uh, with you. You've been busy. What's new with me? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing worth talking about on the podcast so i'll fill you in later basically okay i've been to some concerts and uh getting ready for the big naked bacon band reunion yeah uh, coming up on the 12th uh, up in northern ohio so yeah we've been busy we had friends here so yeah all kinds of stuff going on after that diversion what uh pop culture <laughs> have you been consuming um, so I had time for a couple of books in the past couple of weeks. First one I read is uh, called Panpocalypse by Carly Ward, and it was first published as an online serial in 2020, and now it's been compiled into just one piece. The story follows a lonely, disabled polyhero as they grapple with disease, decay, love, and revolution. And you say polyhero? Polly, like polyamorous hero. <laughs> Why are you shaking your head like that? No reason. Okay, so so I've been I've I wouldn't say I've been on a quest, but I enjoy reading novels by people who are different than me, right? Because you get a whole you get a different perspective on things, and so this book is. I felt very, it's a very interesting read because of the writing style. I just felt like the way that um, Ward wrote about her, and I took it as the hero in the story is basically her, or like the fictionalized version of her, or they, them, whatever, whatever the appropriate pronouns are. I didn't mean whatever to sound dismissive. Anyways, (laughs) they're language on how they describe the big feelings about the pandemic, the isolation, the anxiety, the freedom in not being around other people, but also like, you know, that conflicting how it's nice, but then also it's really, really lonely sometimes. And especially if you're not an able-bodied person, if you struggle with chronic pain and you already have to be really careful because you have like an autoimmune disorder and then the the world blows up basically. And this is set in New York City. So I can only imagine what specific level of like almost like a horror story, how different things change, like how fast things changed and how scary that must have been. Because it was scary for everybody. But to be in an epicenter where, you know, this the pandemic is taking out so many people so quickly. It had to be really, really, really terrifying. Yeah. But, but then also, you know, they talk about how, how the protests are going on at the same time, how their love life is in this weird, like, they're basically they got dumped, but then also like, they're still kind of finding opportunities for love and different, um, parts of their lives and just just what a weird space and time so that's basically it I don't want to get excuse resident kid expert <laughs> I don't want to you know spoil anything else it was a quick read 
Um, I think it will resonate with a wide audience, I think. Okay, so say the title and then the it's author again. Panpocalypse by Carly Ward. Well, I was doing a lot of driving, uh, not this weekend, the weekend before, and I discovered the Our Fake History podcast. The tagline of this show is, Historical myths relished and ruined, exclamation point. And so uh, it's this award-winning podcast uh, trying to figure out, uh, takes these stories that, you know, have come down through the ages, tries to figure out what's fact, what's fiction, and what's a good story that it simply must be told. And it's done by a guy in uh, Toronto, Canada, Sebastian Major, with help from his wife, Beth Lorimer. He's a teacher, musician, and storyteller. In fact, he wrote, he wrote all the music that's on they use on the podcast. So that's really cool. But I wanted to just explain, like talk a little bit about one episode so people can get a sense of what this, this show is like. So there was a show that was about griffins, okay, which are the mythical half lion, half eagle beasts. So somebody was trying to figure out where did this come from, okay, this idea, right? So... Our Fake History, the podcast begins with this long, long discussion of why there are giants uh, in cultures all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. Stories of giants, okay? And I'm thinking, this doesn't have anything to do with griffins. But, and I, if you want to listen to the griffin episode of this, you should probably stop listening now. But I'm just going to tell a little bit more so people can understand how this is. So he has this, you know, we we were told you should talk about what the podcast is going to be about in the first 30 seconds, or you're going to lose people. I think there were 10 minutes about giants. And the thing was, he was trying to get to this point where there's this uh, academic who has theorized that a lot of stories come from like native people trying to make sense of when they find fossils. And many of the stories about giants are near these fossil-rich areas, okay? Mm, okay. Which brings us to the griffin, finally. All these stories were centered in this one part of Asia. Uh, and supposedly the griffins guarded their nests uh, and they're young, and uh, they used gold to uh, that washed down from the, from the mountains to put in their, in their nest. And okay. uh, if, somebody, if somebody came there looking for the gold, the griffins would try to attack, would try to attack them, uh, but it was more about protecting their their nest and the young rather than the gold, right? Okay. So it turns out that this this part of Asia is next to where they found all these fossils of the Proceratops, which is sort of like the Triceratops, except it doesn't have the three horns, right? And it doesn't have mm -hmm. the big the big uh, rough. Okay, but it does have like the beak nose. Okay, and the Proceratops is about the size of a lion. Oh, they have the okay. skeletons intact. Yeah, and we're trying to make sense of them. And then also there were nests. They found nests with the eggs in them. So huh. then that's obviously where the story yeah. came from. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And then there was another one about um, the famous story about. Robert Johnson selling his soul to the devil at the crossroads so he could play the great blues. And that yeah. one was interesting to me because I know a lot about Robert Johnson and I didn't realize that so much of what we know about him is in dispute. It yeah. was really fascinating. Any musician would love that. So 
That's yeah. our fake history available wherever fine podcasts are found. <laughs> so like all of the all of the streaming platforms. All of streaming. So yeah, so then I have another book to talk about called Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner and um From Japanese Breakfast. I've heard it talking about this. Uh-huh. Yes, she Michelle Zahner of indie rock sensation Japanese Breakfast writes this memoir of growing up Korean-American. Her mom was Korean, her dad's American. Her relationship with her mother and how her life changed when her mother received a terminal cancer diagnosis. And so there's a lot about her mother, she and her mother bonding over food, how her mother's culture influenced her life growing up. And then, well, I think we all have tumultuous relationships with all of our family members but um this one struck a chord with me because obviously because my mom died when I was young younger than Michelle's honor uh who I guess her mom got the diagnosis when Michelle was 25 so that's still really really young to um have to deal with a parent going through something so so tough I really liked it It made me laugh but made me tear up a little bit in parts and you know even though our experience is not the same because I'm a completely white person understanding that or being on the same page of like Michelle's honor in writing this book I think went back and was able to look at you know her her youth and in her mom's life in different ways than she would have if her mom was still alive and and what kind of changes that makes towards your relationships with other people towards towards everything <laughs> so okay. uh, so yeah it was it was really good and, and then h mart and it's a the title's yeah. crying in the h mart and h mart is like a h h mart is like kind of generally asian supermarket so if you you are looking for, you know, international ingredients that you're not going to find, even in like, there's, you know, there's the international section, which is literally like, maybe not even an aisle of a, an American grocery store. If you go to an H Mart, then you're going to find all of the, you know, Korean and Japanese and Chinese, all of the, these spices and you know seafood and noodles and all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't find anywhere else and so part of her dealing with her grief was really learning like leaning into um learning how to cook traditional korean dishes for her mom when her mom was sick really embracing that part of her heritage whereas when she was younger you know that was something that she felt like she had to be ashamed of she was embarrassed by because she grew up on the west coast uh i think in eugene oregon and you know that's very they she grew up in a very like kind of out in the boonies um house and so she wasn't she didn't have anybody else except for her mom um that looked like her she writes that she and her mother would take like every other year they would go take a flight to Seoul, her mom's hometown and stay with her grandma and, you know, and she'd only get to see her mom's side of the family every other year. 
so yeah, it was, it was really good. It's been out for a while, but this is the first time that I was able to, that it was up for me to borrow from my library app. And so and you mentioned that, you know, um, obviously your, your mom, uh, mm-hmm. had terminal cancer too. Uh, and you, you hinted that your experience was different. Would you say yeah. that you had a, a similar way that you bonded with your mom or? Well, I think this kind of came after the fact because when she was sick, because I was kind of at the age where she tried to push me a little bit into like, you need to learn how to do this to help take care of, you know, your dad and your sister. Like you need to learn how to cook and kind of step up. And for me, my rebellion against that was like, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Unfortunately, then we all had to eat my cooking and nobody wants to talk about that. But for me, it was like, no, I'm not going to do that because if I refuse to do it, then you have to stick around, which is a very like adolescent way to think about that, you know, but in, in my brain, it was like, you can't leave me even if you have a terminal diagnosis, if I just refuse to learn how to cook. And so later on, after she was gone, like, um, you know, we talk about her M&M cookies that that I only make every once in a while, just because it's a little bit more involved than other, other stuff. But like, she liked to bake. I like to bake. I don't necessarily like to cook dinner or anything like that, but I like to make her recipes that, that were always a hit. And so now whenever I'm baking, like that's something that my son and I do together. And actually a couple of weeks ago, I have literally have not opened this box since you gave it to me. Um, I have her old recipe box oh, yeah. that was going through and more than 75% of it, I would say is like different baking recipes. Um, like there's some, you know, this is like, this is this type of salad. This is this like ribs or whatever, but more of it is like, here's how you make these pinwheel cookies. Here's how you make this fudge and just like <laughs> and stuff like that, which I really think it's funny that I don't know if it's inherent, but it just kind of naturally like happens because I could care less about a meat recipe because I, I would rather just get, you know, the frozen chicken and just have it be really uh, boring and throw some spices in there and then you're done. But, but I want to know about this, like, you know, double chocolate, whatever, whatever. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah. uh, crying in the H Mart by, uh, All right. by Michelle's honor. Kate alluded to me being busy. And one of the ways I've been busy is going to concerts. We just saw Buddy Guy and John Hyatt had never seen Buddy Guy, who's now 86. He is, he's something. He's a showman. He's got this <laughs> sense of humor. He takes his guitar. He puts it on top of the amp so that first you're getting feedback. So then he takes like a bow and he's like whamming on the guitar strings to see what sounds it makes. Yeah. And he takes like a, like a cloth, like a handkerchief, and he puts that on the guitar neck and then he, you know, lifts the guitar up and then it slides down and makes the sound. <laughs> he was, he was great. I mean, he didn't, you know, he's 86. So, I mean, he's not going to be just like constantly out there grinding away on the solos. 
that like he always has. He was always the, he was of course the Chicago's blue play, blues player, very influential in terms of like influencing Clapton, Hendrix, Page, Keith Richards, yeah. Stevie Rayvon. He was known for going these make sudden changes from like loud to soft, okay, or sweet sustained guitar solo, and then kind of snarl, <laughs> right? So he was he was great, really liked him. He told stories about growing up in Louisiana, son of sharecroppers, and um, he never saw he never had running water until he was fourteen. You know, really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great to see him. And uh, John Hyatt opened for him. John Hyatt is originally from Indianapolis, although he's lived in Nashville since he was like 21, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Great, great songwriter. And he has a top-notch band, The Goners, with uh, Sonny Landreth as the lead player. And we featured a song of Sonny Landreth in our New Orleans uh, music music show playlist. But yeah, John Hyatt, he wrote, Thing Called Love for Bonnie Raitt, Memphis in the Meantime, Feels Like Rain, all these great, great songs. And it was just fun to see him. He obviously was having a good time being here. Then we also saw Lake Street Dive, a band that met at the New England Conservatory of Music. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they were, they've always been kind of a, an unusual band because... When they first started out, they had a drummer, a trumpet player, a stand-up bass player, and a singer. They never, they didn't have a guitar or a piano. No chordal instrument is, is the way I've seen it described. And then yeah. finally, the trumpet player uh, learned how to play guitar. And so they had this jazzy uh, pop funk thing going on. Um, Rachel Price, great singer. Uh, they're, and they're really clever songwriters, great lyrics and stuff. Bridget Kearney is uh, the bass player, is just amazing, good songwriter. So they were really good. We saw them at Rock the Ruins, which is an outdoor uh, concert thing here at Holiday Park. And their opener was a band called The Brook and the Bluff, which you've okay. never heard of them. Have you heard of them? No. <laughs> yeah. So they're from Alabama. They have like four part harmony. Okay. And their music fit really well with Lake Street Dives. I noticed that there were uh, the people who were singing along with their songs were like young women and like okay. they knew all the words. So, I mean, somewhere, somehow this band came along and um, yeah. they, their first uh, full length record came out in like 2019. So, they oh. hadn't been around that long, but. <laughs> They're really good, the Brook and the Bluff. So we'll have um, songs by all four of these acts on our playlist. Cool. What else um, would you like to talk about, Kate? Well, so I <laughs> um, I watched the The Gray Man on Netflix, which um, just came out. It's directed by the Russo brothers, who did uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier and a couple of the other Avengers movies. So this this follows a shadowy CIA agent, CIA agent played by Ryan Gosling. It's an espionage action thriller based on the novel by Mark Greeny. I have not read the, the novel, but it was getting a ton of hype because Ryan Gosling's in it. Chris Evans is in it. Um, I mess up his name every time. I think it's R- Reggae John Page from Bridgerton. Ana de Armas is in it too. And so, and Billy Bob Thornton. Wow. Uh, yeah. So lots of names. 
the like teasers that they were dropping were really interesting. And so I realized this as I was looking at my notes. The only thing I can tell you about this movie is that that Ryan Gosling is, of course, charming, charismatic. He's always he does a really like well, does a really good like put upon. He doesn't want to be here, but he's gonna solve the problem mm. type of guy. <laughs> if that makes sense, he uh, is trying to retire basically, and so Billy Bob Thornton is the man that recruited him. It's like, oh, you, you know, you just have to do this one last job and then you're done. And then everything just like spirals out of control from there. But the thing that he's trying to take care of, you never really uh, know what exactly the problem is, except for some, somebody, some government guy is doing something shady. And so now they're trying to cover their tracks and it turns into this huge thing, except you never find out what the actual bad thing is that is that happened is so like i guess they intentionally left it open for a sequel but as i was looking at my notes i was like wait i don't even know what the problem is that ryan gosling is trying to say. Um, and so then like so then chris evans plays a very unhinged bad guy which like it's fun funny to see him do that because everybody's so used to him as Captain America. Right. So in any other way, but then he also in a couple other movies has essentially played the same kind of just like wild bad guy. So it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. Uh, uh, it was like a nice, somebody asked me if they should watch it. And that basically I was like, well, if you don't have anything else to do, and you're interested in seeing the action. Because the thing, the one thing that I do love about the Russo brothers is that I feel like they pay attention to the choreography of an action scene. Like it's beautiful, right. even though it's a violent situation. It's, it's, this is a, uh, maybe not a great thing to say. It's a beautiful thing to watch because you can see that like just like a dance how everything flows and as a person who is not a dancer i've always been amazed by the level of athleticism and timing and just everything that goes into making a fight sequence so like whoa and the viewers can't see that i was she was doing all these hand motions brain exploding Um, (laughs) i always really enjoy that just because I feel like there's so much attention to detail put into that. Has Ryan Gosling done a ton of action stuff? I don't, has he? Maybe? I don't think so. So it was interesting to see him in a role like that, where if he's done it before, I haven't seen it. The dialogue's a little in parts, it's a little clunky, but but, but worth a watch if you're bored. Yeah, so The Gray Man, (laughs) and it's on... It's on Netflix. On Netflix. We're get, Zoom has been weird today, so we may cut off here before I finish this. Kate and I had an argument before we started the podcast about whether we've actually talked about the Ryan Reynolds movie, Free Guy, <laughs> which I think we talked about. I think we talked about The Adam Project, which was came out about the same time as Free Guy. Well, um, see, I think maybe we ended up talking about Free Guy because Jodie Comer from Killing Eve is in Free Guy. Yes, she is. So maybe we didn't, maybe we started with Killing Eve 
As you could hear there, Zoom did indeed cut out on us, so I'm going to finish up by myself. So we're talking about the movie Free Guy, starring Ryan Reynolds and Jodie Comer of Killing Eve fame. Uh, it came out in 2021. The premise is there's this bank teller played by Reynolds who is happily going about his life, saying hello to his goldfish each morning, um, you know, getting the same coffee at this uh place like Starbucks and then um, going to his job as his, at his bank. But then we quickly realized that something is odd because as he's walking along the street nonchalantly, there are explosions, there's gunfire, there's crashing cars. So it turns out that Reynolds' character guy is actually a background character in a brutal open world video game. What happens is he spots this beautiful woman uh, played by Jodie Comer. Uh, she's wearing sunglasses. Everybody uh, in this world who can do all the the wild, crazy, violent things uh, have sunglasses. Ryan Reynolds decides to get some sunglasses so he can talk to her. And then things ensue. So this is a sci-fi thriller romance. It's directed by Sean Levy, who's known for Stranger Things and the Night at the Museum franchise. And then it has an incredible cast. It also stars Joe Curry, who is Steve on Stranger Things. Uh, Channing Tatum, who is very funny. The guy from uh, Marvel and the Vampire Dakia comedy, What We Do in the Shadows. I'm going to mangle his name. Tiki Watiti. And then the voice talent includes Tina Fey... Dwayne Johnson slash The Rock, John Krasinski of Office fame, and Hugh Jackman. So it's it's packed with talent. We found this movie very enjoyable. It is because it's set in a video game. It is highly, highly violent. So just uh, keep that in mind as you tune in. So that is Free Guy, and we watched it on Disney+, Plus, but I believe it's also available on Hulu now. You know where to find us. We say it every episode. Would encourage you to tell your friends about the podcast. It's uh, great fun doing this for you. We just love to have more people hearing us. For Popaholics and for my co-host Kate Hall, I'm Steve Hall. Go out and enjoy pop culture. Mm-hmm.